You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Everybody doing this morning? Guys feeling ready? Feeling ready? Awesome. Uh, I, I gotta say I'm excited for today, but I'm also really excited for the future. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and this is probably even lighter than how I mean it. But starting next week will be the three most crucial weeks of this church in its entire history. I will, I'll say this: what God wants to do for the next five, ten, fifteen years of this church hinges on what God does in the next three weeks. So I want to encourage you: come to church. <laughs> for the next three weeks, uh, because you're going to want to know what's happening. I can't, I'm not going to tell you now, uh, but you're going to want to know what God's doing because it is really amazing and powerful, and God has a great vision for this church. Amen. And so I'm going to share that with you. But we have, man, we got some special things, and I got to say, I've been praying and believing and been in a place of prayer, and just, man, I know this is going to be a move of the Spirit, not just of the might of men, but it's a move of God, and so I want to encourage you, man, if uh, this is a big time for this church, and there's certain moments in a church that are really hinge points in your history, and I... I really believe that these next three weeks are that point for us. So I want to encourage you to engage into that and to be a part of that, be consistent in that, because I think it's going to, um, well, not I think, I know it's going to change everything, so in an awesome way. Uh, but today we're going to finish our series called Everyday Evangelism. I hope you've enjoyed talking about evangelism, but even beyond that, I hope that you begin to ask good questions of your own heart and live out evangelism. Because I, I, I love that everyone's here. I love this church. I love everybody that is a, a part of this church and the ability to be a part of it. But I don't want you just here to, to hear me talk and to go out and be like, that was nice, and then kind of go about our day, right? We have such an incredible blessing as those who've encountered the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, come on. We have such a great blessing as those who've encountered the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's remember, we're, we're, I don't know if you know this, if you just walked in, we are a Pentecostal church, right? <laughs> we are a charismatic church. Now, nobody swung from these chandeliers when you came in, so you knew it was a safe space. But I want to tell you, uh, I, I believe God's going to stir it up, so let's get started for him. Sound good? Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Today we're going to continue our series, and I want to talk about ambassadors in exile and kind of this unique perspective as we look and finish our series here in, uh, here in the book of First Peter. I was thinking the other day, I drove by this really nice restaurant uh, the other day. I was at a conference up at Dream City Church, and so I don't often, I'm not often in that kind of central Phoenix area, but I drove by and I saw this restaurant that I went to right when I moved to Phoenix, and I was down with uh, my dad, and I was looking for places to live, I was looking at houses and different things, and so it was kind of right when we got there, and he had gotten a job at this uh, financial investment place, and they invited him to dinner, and we were together, and I think he felt bad, so he invited me to go to the dinner with him, and 
Uh, it was, have you ever been somewhere where it was immediately apparent you are not their target demographic? Right? Right? We're walking to a restaurant and be like, oh, I, when y'all send out mailers, I, I don't get one. Right? It was like, the very fact you send out mailers says it's not in my demographic. Right? Uh, but uh, there was a really, really, uh, it was a really fancy restaurant. It was really nice. And everybody at that at that gathering, it was my, my dad and it was his his future boss or his now boss and his wife and some people. And, you know, they were all uh, my parents' age. And personally, I, I think most people think that would intimidate me, but that's the age of people I spend a lot of time talking to anyways because I'm a pastor. And so as a pastor for the beginning of ministry, I, I've always spent time with people of all ages. If you are uh, 50, 60, 70, 80, I love hanging out with you just like I'm hanging out with someone who's, you know, who's in their mid-30s like I am. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me. And often I find that it's a lot more uh, straightforward when you hang out with someone, you know, in their 60s, and usually they pay for lunch. Uh, <laughs> You're a pastor. You go to lunch with someone under 40, you're paying for both of you. You go to, <laughs> anyway, it's just kingdom principles. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> go to lunch with someone who's 20, you're just glad they showed up, right? <laughs> uh, so I got to go to this dinner, and I, I love uh, I love listening, and I often find that when you are, especially a younger leader, one of the best things that you can do when you're at uh, a gathering with people who are more experienced in life than you is to listen and to begin to absorb. And you might be different, have different ideas, and different personalities, but one of the ways that you honor people is by listening to people. And so uh, I just listened respectfully, and I, and I was responding. We didn't always agree on everything, but that wasn't my place. I was just more there to facilitate a respectful relationship. And so, you know, we talked, and it was great, and we, you know, ate this really, like, rich food, and I felt underdressed, but I wore the nicest thing I had. And, uh, and uh, we got up at the end, and, I, and we went to leave, and the owner of the business who I was speaking to for most of the time looked at me and just said, you know, Josh, you have an amazing aura about you. And I was like, huh. And I don't say that to, to mock the thing he says, because I think he was generally looking at something that was different about the conversation we were having. So I don't say that to put like, that's so different, aura, aura, come on. But what I said to him is I said, yeah, uh, what you're seeing respectfully is not my aura. I really hope it's my Jesus. I hope that what you're seeing from me as we talk is, is my Jesus. Because no matter who I'm talking to, whether they are 17 or 70, whether they are rich or poor, whether they are black or white, whether they are the, the highest, most powerful politician or the lowest person on the social totem pole, my hope would be that everyone who sees me says, man, what is that? What is that? Is that your aura? Is that your vibe? What is that? It's not charisma, because you were mostly quiet. What is that? That I can say, it. that's my Jesus. That's my hope, right? Now, sometimes when I'm driving, I hope they're seeing it as aura and not my Jesus. <laughs> sometimes my Jesus doesn't come out when I drive, right? <laughs> but my hope is that when I encounter people, what they begin to see is my Jesus. Listen, Christians, Believers today, I want to speak to you today as we're speaking about evangelism. If you don't know the hope of Jesus Christ, don't worry. I'm going to explain it. You're going to love it, and I pray it will change your life. But I just want to speak to believers for this moment today.
because of Christ who is within you, you are different. But people should be able to see the Christ within you based on how you respond. They should be able to see the Christ eternal and internal because of your actions external. How you treat people, how you interact with people, how you engage with people. It should be obvious. Something's different. Peter talks about this, about being an exile. And today I want to share with you this idea of how we live as ambassadors in exile because there's something specific about that word because how we live points and should point the world to the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. And there's these twin themes that we see rooted in all of 1 Peter that I think speak to this idea of how we live as ambassadors in exile. And there's two words. First is goodness. Someone say goodness. The second is godliness. Someone say godliness. Okay, if you were here last week, we were in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and we did 9 and 10. Today, I want to talk about 11 and 12 immediately after that as well. But I want to read to you starting in verse 9. So if you got your Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If not, the words will be on the screen. And in fact, if you uh, want a Bible, you don't have a physical Bible, I'll give you one after church. Come talk to me uh, back at the next step table, and that will be a great next step for you to take as you connect, serve, and grow into the uh, kingdom of God. But 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sorry, I don't got the Rona. I just led worship 20 minutes ago. <clears throat> Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then here's, here's where we are. Verse 11. Someone say verse 11. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Don't you love how Peter writes? He writes just like he lives. It's a little bit dramatic, but it's right on. It says verse 12. Keep, in, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good, what does your, what does your Bible there say? What's that word? Deeds. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Interesting passage. Now, this is an idea Peter is going to revisit over and over. I told you that in the first one. It kind of like he introduces an idea, he supports it, then he adds more, then he supports it. He kind of circles. So this is an idea, but it's a really interesting passage. If you were here when we began uh, the series on evangelism, how many were here the first week that we spoke on evangelism? Oh, yeah, there we go. You get your uh, church gold star. <laughs> Uh, we talked about how Peter greeted the believers as those exiles, those people, though they were, they're in Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. They are exiles not only as part of the Jewish diaspora, but also from their own communities because they're believers. But he says, listen, you're exiles, but you're set apart by God to obey Jesus. 
kind of some key words there, right? Set apart to obey. And then we, we've talked about in this series that Peter praised God for the believers being born again into a living hope. One of my favorite phrases, right? And then over and over, we've seen Peter through this series encourage believers to have an eternal outlook for a future glory. I think she went to get me some. Thank you, though. But also to live pure and holy lives in the present. See, it's this very uh, clear hope of future glory that was meant to, and Peter's been talking about, meant to lead them to a transformed life of obedience in Jesus Christ. So we read 1 Peter 1, 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope... Oh, thank you. Can we thank Pastor Katie this morning? That's a lifesaver. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It's all about transformation. That's what we've been talking about. It's about being transformed to walk in the obedience of Jesus Christ. John talks about in 1 John 3, 3, that the Christian hope of glory is one of the reasons we purify ourselves as God is pure. But if we look at the next verse, if you're still with me in 1 Peter 1, 13, 14, look at 15. Peter phrases it this way. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. And then he repeats in verse 16 an Old Testament covenant from Yahweh. He says, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, in the Old Testament, God set apart his people. This is the holy priesthood that he's talking about in verse 9, right? He set apart of people, a people of God, to be holy as God is holy. And now Peter is referencing this command because everything that Christ has done has come to fulfill the promise of God, not to erase it and build something different, but to fulfill it. And he says to the church now the same command. Be holy. Someone say holy. It's a little different though, this call that we see in Scripture to be holy from the call that we see in culture. The call in culture is a little different. The call in culture is be who you are. Right? Cast off other people's expectations and be who you are. And if someone doesn't support you as being who you are, who you are, then they must not love you. They must not care about you. Just be who you are. Shine the brightest flower that you can shine. Or what I don't know whatever Converse ad is out now. But <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. And that's the culture that we live in. And yet Christians, we have a different call. But it's actually one rooted in a deeper and true love. It's be who God has made you to be. Be a new creation in Christ. Yes, there's all these identifiers you might have put on yourself and the world might have put on you, or maybe they come from personality, maybe they come from trauma, maybe they, even, they might even come from abuse in the past. That has begun to form an identity of who you are, and the world says, yeah, be who you are, because the world doesn't want to change, and they don't want you to change, and it bothers people when you begin to change, because they don't want to change. 
But the call of Christ is different. Be who God made you to be. So Peter is calling the believers to become like God. That is the standard for who we are and who we are to be and how we are to live. Are you still with me? 1 John 1, 7 says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a really important theological idea. God is light. And at conversion, when we give our hearts to the Lord, when we surrender completely and say, Jesus, I'm tired of being the God of myself. I want to be made new in you. I want, to, I want new life in you. How many of you remember that moment when you said, Jesus, I'm tired of living for me. I'm tired of living as the God of myself. I want you as Lord of my life. Did you know something happened in that moment? That God transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. And it wasn't a locational change. It's not like you went from Minnesota to Los Angeles. It was a positional change. And it was an ontological change, meaning there was a change of your being, who you were and who you belonged, changes when you say, Jesus, I need you. That's why we have it written on the back, so that all people, this is our mission here, right? So that all people can experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. Something changes. See, what happens is when we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness where we are lost in sin to the kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the light, God is the light, it means that we become the light. But here's what happens. Since you are now light, you are called to do what lights do. And what do lights do? They shine. And evangelism is nothing more than you as a light shining so that others can see their way out of darkness. That's important. Which means something key about this transfer that happens is that holiness is the fruit, someone say fruit, and the seed, someone say seed, of the gospel. Look at this. Holiness is the fruit and the seed of the gospel. I'm going to explain. Holiness is a result of conversion, but it's also the embodied argument for the gospel and specifically for the gospel's truthfulness. Stay with me. Anytime, anytime we speak on holiness, people automatically jump to piety, but I'm going to explain here what, what we mean by holiness. Uh, my daughter, she was learning about Johnny Appleseed, and now Johnny Appleseed went all around America planting apples, right? Planting, planting apples and apple orchards and all this kind of stuff, right? It's all good for ecology and the management of regenerative agricultural systems, yada, yada. But back then, they just called it Johnny Appleseed. And they made a song, right? <laughs> Johnny Appleseed goes around and plants out. And Lucy asked me, my daughter asked me very wisely, where did he get all the seeds? It's a good question. Where did he get all the seeds to plant all these trees? So let's answer it for her if we can, because, you know, we're adults. We, we've gone to school. Where did he get the seeds? Come on, say it loudly. Where did, he get the, where did he get the seeds? From the apples, from the fruit, right? If there's no fruit, there's no seeds. The seed to plant more comes from the fruit that the tree produces. 
That's holiness. In order for there to be seeds to plant, there has to be fruit. The fruit of conversion should be holiness. You are different. If you say Jesus changed my life and your life is not changed, you're lying. You're at least not very convincing. <laughs> hey, bud, Jesus changed my life. Man, you kind of see him exactly the same. You're upset, you're miserable, you're exhausted, you're frustrated, you swear at everybody you see. Yeah, but he's so good to me, and you should accept him in your life too. No. <laughs> Why? Then you can be miserable on Facebook with me. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, I'm definitely into that. Uh, just I, Now I got to wake up early on Sunday too? Praise the Lord. Right? <laughs> Can't wait. Holiness is the fruit. And from that holiness comes the seed to plant. See, through the gospel, we are reborn, right? Born-again Christians. You are reborn, and you are recreated. You're being transformed. You're being sanctified to be like God. Not to be God, but to be like God. That's the fruit. But we plant the gospel in our world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we demonstrate God through our life. See, the gospel has many effects on our lives, deliverance, communion, eternal inheritance. But sometimes I think we forget that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, into the kingdom of light. So a crucial piece of evangelism is a demonstration of our new nature in Jesus Christ. Did you know you are a walking billboard of Jesus Christ? What's on that billboard? It's the fruit. It's the seed. This brings up an important thought, and I've tried to pick these points very carefully. <laughs> I really have. Never have I rewritten the points of my sermon so many times than this one. So if they get close and they're still not perfect, you're still going to give me grace, right? Okay, good, and we can talk after. Holiness, often, precedes evangelism. Last week in 1 Peter 2.9, right? Read that. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says you are a holy priesthood to declare God's glory. Not a just like everyone else priesthood. A set apart for God priesthood. This is why Peter spends so much time discussing behavior and reputation of exiles, right? He's not talking to, he's not scolding non-believers for their behavior. That's not his role. Why would you scold somebody? Why would you come against somebody for something that they have no reason to change because they don't know the hope of Jesus Christ yet, right? It's like cleaning the fish before you've caught it. It doesn't work. He's talking to believers. So if you're not a believer today, then I, I'm going to tell you, don't, don't freak out. You're still safe. But he's, he spends so much time because their conduct directly influenced their witness and God's glory. See, the connection between holiness and evangelism can often be one of the reasons that our witness is silent. Because we are afraid of being that very classic Christian word that starts with an H and ends with hypocrite. You know which one I'm talking about, right? Hypocrite. Yeah, some of you are like, which one? 
right? <laughs> Hypocrite, right? We're afraid of that, aren't we? Hey, man, I just want to tell you about the hope of Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, but I just saw you swear in traffic, homie. Like, oh, oh yeah, right? It's hard. Because what happens is as we begin to preach the gospel, you know what we do? We invite people's eyes upon our life. Basically, here's what you say when you tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Consider Christ in view of how I relate to others. Okay, that makes it a little more serious, right? Because you can't say consider Christ, but don't consider my life even though I told you he's changed and transformed my life. We're giving people commission or permission to view our confession of faith in view of how we handle trials, in view of how we handle difficulties, in view of how we handle concerns and stresses. And this can cause concern in our life because we need to ask the question not, am I perfect enough to lead someone to heaven? Don't worry, you're not. <laughs> you're not perfect. So you can stop freaking out about that right now. Your perfection doesn't lead anybody to, to heaven. Don't worry. But we do need to ask the question, will what they hear from my lips match what they've seen from my life? Jesus is a prince of peace. The people are like, how come he didn't give you any? It should stir something. Isn't it a lot more compelling when you walk in peace to then say Jesus is the prince of peace? Right? It's like a little check and balance in our heart. And I, and I want to be important because sometimes we do this flip Socratic method for like if holiness is key to evangelism, then if I'm not holy enough, then I can't evangelize. And it's like, no, don't flip it backwards. Right? This sentence flows this way. It doesn't flow back this way. That's important. Your perfection is not going to save anybody. In fact, your holiness isn't even going to save anybody. This is what happens. Every part of who we are, even our failures— right? Even those failures and God's mercy amidst our failures, all of that should point people to Christ. Are you following me? Do we see the distinction? Your piety is not getting anybody into heaven, but your holiness is key to having a clear witness. Are you with me? You're good? We're good. Hit me with an amen if, if, if you follow me. Okay, good, good. Okay, so we're halfway there. I'm going to keep explaining that. First Peter 2.12, here's what it says. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Look at that. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Now, we know when God visits, not everybody's going to glorify, right, on the day of judgment. So why would they be glorifying? Because in viewing your good deeds, it changed something in their life. And they said, oh, wait, yeah, I like that. I want, I want that. Initially, it said, they said, that guy sucks. And then... They tried, and then they're like, oh, no, actually, that's pretty cool, and it's consistent. I want that, right? That's the process that he's explaining. But anytime we say the word deeds or works in church, I think it can be tricky. Can we just own that? Because as soon as I say deeds or works, some of you, depending on your background or predisposition, are like, I'm not doing enough. Like, that was like a, your immediate response. Or your thought was like, this is that church that's going to say you got to work your way in. Nope, actually, neither of those. <laughs> Let me explain. I want to give you a word that I think is going to help us understand the public or visual display of good, godly deeds in front of others. I want, let me give you a word. The word ambassador. Someone say ambassador. We are ambassadors of God's holiness. What's an ambassador? 
someone who represents somebody or something else, right? If you're an ambassador of a country, right, if the ambassador of China, right, came and said something, is like, we think that all dogs now have to be dyed pink, right? Uh, the news would say, China says all dogs pink, right? Why? Because he speaks for the country, right? He speaks for somebody else. If, if uh, the ambassador of France walked up to the uh, prime minister of Italy and just slapped him in the face, act of war right there. That's how Europe works, right? Right? <laughs> Why? Because they're an ambassador. They represent. Their words represent. Right? Now we have, like, brand ambassadors. Right? You can be an ambassador for a brand. And if you're a brand and you get an ambassador, you're taking a risk. Because, like, let's say you're a sports brand and you sponsor an athlete and that athlete goes home and does not treat their significant other with physical respect, all of a sudden you're like, pull it off the shelf, right? Why? Because it looks bad for you. Because they are an ambassador. It's an important word. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, we are ambassadors. And he's talking about as an, uh, as an apostolic leader. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I think that's such, a key, that's such an important word as we try to understand how we live in this world as imperfect people following a perfect God, right? This is the kind of accountability we need for our actions. It's not to think that my good deeds will get anyone into heaven or that my works or my piety will get anybody into heaven, but to recognize that when people see you, they are forming an opinion about you, about Christianity, and about Jesus Christ. Your actions are influencing someone's eternity. And that is a sobering call, but I think we need it, church. I think we need to recognize that the things we do and say physically, digitally, behind people's back, why is the church considered historically a place of gossip? Because people have forgotten this, that when you speak behind someone's back, you're helping other people form an opinion about your Lord and Savior. Have you heard about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, yes. That's not the response you want. What it's a flow out of our life. See, the desire to reach others for the gospel should encourage godliness. When uh, we did young adults ministry, we had this group of young men. We had about 200 young adults, and I had, we had about 26 uh, young leaders that we were raising up, and uh, a couple of them go here now, and, and Dave Barry is one of my good friends who was a part of that group, and we always had this phrase as young leaders growing up, and I'm a very passionate person, and I'm a very gung-ho person, and uh, I, I love to go to sports games and yell. Any sports games yellers, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I like to go. I like to yell. I like to party. Anybody that, you know, you like to party? Uh, yeah. Okay, good, good. Not as many hands. Um, we <laughs> uh, anyways, we would have this conversation, and we would say, is that your witness killer? So you're hanging out with some guys, you're watching, maybe you're at the 
Buffalo Wild Wings and you're watching a UFC fight and people are hanging out. Maybe some people, you know, they refrain from alcohol. Some people do not. And uh, the, uh, the party, let's say, who does not is choosing now to have another, another drink. And the question is not an attack. He shouldn't know, hey, hey, this anti or putting any extra biblical standards. The question that we would ask is, is that going to be your witness killer? Is that going to be the one? Is that drink, is that action, is that word, is that post on Facebook, is that going to be your witness killer? Is how you treat this person, is what you yell in traffic, is what you say at that football game, is how people see you respond in your job. Is this meeting, is this work meeting going to be your witness killer? And we would ask each other that. That's, a, that's called accountability. Is that going to be my witness killer? Because at the end of the day, I purify myself not only for a future glory, sure, but also for a present witness. I want people to know the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing, there is no witness killing item that is more important than that to me. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct honorable so when people see your good deeds, they will praise who? God. That's important. That's an important distinction. Because you're probably thinking in this, wait a second, I've been in church for a while, and I remember Matthew 6, Jesus says, do not do your good deeds in front of people. But now, pastor, you're telling me that Peter says, do your good deeds in front of people. Are you committing that same fallacy of saying that an epistle counters something that the gospel says? No. Because Peter is very clearly saying to do your good deeds before God. See, when Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6, 1, for those of you who don't know, know that the Sermon on the Mount, where you'll find the Beatitudes, is part of a longer teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And part of it, Jesus says, don't do your good deeds, your generosity, your prayer, all this in front of people to receive a reward. Because honestly, if you do, and they're like, oh my gosh, so spiritual, then guess what? That's your reward. You got it. <laughs> That's it. He said, but do them before the Lord so that he's the one who honors. He's the one who honors you. He says, don't do deeds publicly to be seen, to be praised, but take the perspective of an ambassador. What I'm doing should bring glory to God. What I do in my job, what I do in my family, what I, how I live my life, what I do when no one's watching, what I do on the computer, what I say, what I speak, how I treat people should glorify God. It's same thing uh, the other week. Katie talked about Peter's instructions to uh, wives and servants and, and to slaves. And Peter talks to the wives and servants. And if you read it with kind of this very literal pick and choosy perspective that we like to do, it's like, oh, it kind of sounds like he's telling women to never wear jewelry and to s tell slaves to always stay slaves which doesn't really sound like the gospel to me, but good luck, right? People have used that kind of interpretation to keep people as slaves. I know we use the phrase wrong side of history. I think that might be the wrong side of history. <laughs> but the Bible literally says, okay, and bring that up with Jesus. But what Peter is saying, from what Pastor Katie shared, is that it's not about the jewelry. It's not about staying a slave. What Peter is talking about is this idea of godliness and holiness. He's saying, don't try to woo your husband with clothes and jewelry. Show him goodness and godliness. 
servants, don't try to win your master through words or even don't respond in violence even if you are mistreated. Isn't that crazy? But respond with the goodness and the godliness that shows you are different. See, church, the American church has this weird sense of false modesty. It's like we think that God is most glorified by a church that's either so relevant that it doesn't preach repentance or so weak and broken and small that it can't be healthy. It's like we don't want the church to be like successful or have good theology. It's like it's got to be. We used to say a phrase in my old church like, you know, um, irrelevant is irreverent. I don't think that's true. <laughs> Because I say things that are culturally irrelevant all the time, and they're very irreverent. But we live in this space, modern church, of the opposite danger of the religious leaders in, Ju uh, in Jesus' day. See, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were so pious, they wanted to be seen as set apart and holy. And so they made all these laws that made it impossible for everybody else. Right? It's like 8 billion Sabbath laws, and we were going to be set apart and holy. You can only go this many steps. You can't go that many steps, right? There was a certain amount. There's a sense of set apart. Church, I think we have the opposite problem. Modern Christians, we are not like the, the, the pious Jewish people, at least over here on the West Coast. I just spent the weekend with leaders um, from African-American churches through the South. Different, different set of, of values and issues that we're facing. But West Coast, Phoenix, Scottsdale, we got the opposite problem. We want to be inwardly transformed without showing any outwardly change. We don't want to be set apart. Please do not set us apart. We, we, the idea of us saying that we are holy or different or separate or set apart is terrifying. Don't say that. And I understand the heart behind it because many people come from a culture that was very piously separate, and so it told other people you were not invited. So we're not swinging a pendulum. Are you with me? We're not swinging a pendulum. We're saying, what does the Bible say? The Bible says there's something important about holiness. We say, well, who are we to tell people they need to change their lives? We're those who have discovered the life of Jesus Christ. It's like, why should we tell someone to change their path? Let me put it to you differently. We are all people, and we're all people on a ship that is sinking. And Christ has come along and said, come with me off the sinking ship. And now, if you believe in Christ, you're off the ship. And so if we turn around and say, well, like, yeah, well, who am I to say to this person that the ship is sinking? It's like, uh, a loving person? <laughs> someone who cares about them? Now, how you do that, you sh that's up to you. But that's what God has called us to do. God has called us to preach as lights, not to hide it away. This morning in prayer, Pastor Katie led, or read Matthew 5.14. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Hear me this morning. We are different for a reason. Are you still with me? We are, I know I've said a lot of things. We are different for a reason. Christians are not just different so that we got to wake up early in the morning. Let me promise you, if we weren't different for a reason, I would not be here this early. <laughs> it's too early. I got here at 6.30, too early. We're different for a reason. 
That's why Peter says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That is the goal of our evident love and good deeds. We're different for a reason, to reveal God's nature with the dual purpose of their salvation and God's greater glory. That's our purpose. See, Peter challenges the believers in verse 114. Don't be conformed to the passions of former ignorance. And then he says in verse 118, make a clean break with the futile ways of your forefathers. Then in 2.1 he says, put away slander, put away envy, put away deceit. And then in verse 2.11 he says, and abstain from fleshly cravings. And then in chapter 4, he says, leave behind the old lifestyle of drunkenness, debauchery, and sensuality. Instead, what we see Peter advocate for, he says, listen, demonstrate self-control, live with a good conscience, bless others, walk in holiness, and conduct yourselves honorably. He says, listen, because you're in exile, not everybody's going to like that. You will face persecution. But he says, this is the beautiful life that you have been called to. This is evangelism. It should pour forth out of a life that's saying, I'm trying to learn how to respond to the beautiful relationship Christ died so that I might have. That's evangelism. It's burst out of, I love you, Lord. Work through me. You know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. But you know what? Can I just show a little bit of you to someone today? Imagine if that was every believer's prayer when they woke up in this morning. Jesus, can I show a little bit of you to someone today? In my work, in my drive, in my life. One of my favorite examples of how we do this is Daniel. Someone say Daniel. Say a little, Daniel. There we go, good. Daniel. Daniel was a member of the people of God. He was part of the chosen people of God of Israel. And when they are taken into captivity from Babylon, Daniel and his friends are taken into the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar, also a fun Bible name, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, And the captors try to forcefully assimilate him, and one of the things they do to assimilate him is a dishonorable thing, and they they do it on purpose. They're smart. Uh, It's to kind of break him down, and they go to give him food from idols, and it's kind of like this, hey— We've sacrificed this food to idols. Now you guys eat it. And it, was, and it was like good food, but it's like, it's like you are now us. This is what we do. We eat food to idols. They tried to change their name, their status. But their diet was one of those interesting things. And in Daniel uh, chapter 1, Daniel respectfully rejects the food from false gods, which is bold because you're a prisoner. And uh, I, I've not spent a great deal of time in prison, uh, in exile, in captivity, in captivity under a powerful, uh, heavy-handed, heavy-thumbed government. But I imagine bold, right? <laughs> uh, his buddies get thrown into a, a, a fiery furnace for a similar thing. So just to give you some scope. He says no. And he maintains his purity. And he takes this risk and he says to the jailer, I love this, Daniel 1.13. He says, let our appearance... And the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food, meaning the people who don't keep pure, be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. First Peter, do your good so that you are seen and they will glorify God. What happens is Daniel is healthier and his friends are healthier and stronger than the others. And so what does the guard do? He praises God. Not Daniel, he praises God. Later in his life, Daniel is 
in a, a, an authority position as an exile in a court that does not share his values. So if we think it's impossible to walk in authority, Daniel shows us how we can walk in authority. You can go read it yourself. Walk in authority in a world that doesn't really reflect your values. How do I walk in my work and in my business in a world that doesn't reflect my values? Watch Daniel. Watch how he does it and how he lives. Because as Daniel's doing it, people go, I don't like this guy. Remember God promised us persecution? They say, so we're going to outlaw prayer. We're going to outlaw prayer. Scary times. And if you're caught praying, you get murdered. Here's what happens. Daniel 6.10. It says, when Daniel knew the document, the law, had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows in his, open cha his chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is like uh, civil disobedience. Laws made. Man of God says, No. But what I love is like he's not making some fake stand. What is he doing? He's doing what he's always done as he did before. In fact, it says his windows were already open. He's, he sees the law. He goes, well, this is against God. Okay. And then just goes back and keeps praying. Does anyone else love that? How do I respond in my work that does not have the values of Jesus Christ? You continue to walk in the godliness and the, and the path of sanctification and in the spiritual disciplines that you have been walking. You know what happens to him? He gets thrown in a den of lions. Because Scripture tells us you'll face persecution. But what does God do? God delivers him. Christians, this is how we set ourselves apart. In Daniel, Daniel is not acting more pious. He's not attacking the pagans. He's not beating down the people of Babylon. He's not spitting venom at them. You know what he's doing? He's honoring God. That is how we do it. That is how we live as ambassadors in exile. We honor God with our actions and with our hearts. And God moves. And God delivers. And God restores. Daniel was different because the holiness displayed in his life but you don't ever see him as this like pious person, though he was very clearly holy and set apart. Both are possible is what I'm saying. But there's something that I, I believe this hinges on. Holiness starts with the heart. Now I've been talking about your deeds, the things we do. Be holy. Now I think it's important. It's not saying do holy as I am holy. What is it saying to start? Be. Heard someone joke the other week, they're the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. <laughs> it's about being. It starts with the heart. And that's important that everything we, especially when we talk about deeds, that we come back to the heart. Because these are good deeds to seen by others. But you know where they're seen before they're even deeds to be seen by others? They're seen by God in your heart. You might be a really good religious pretender. You know the lingo. You know the things you need to do. You know what you need to say. But God knows the heart. He knows. He knows what's going on. So in chapter 3, when Peter speaks to wives, he says, this is how you should conduct yourself to honor your husbands. 
And the men are like, yeah, I like that, yeah. Then he responds to men, and he says this, verse 3-7. I like this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, I know this is the age where someone's going to get up on that, but you got to understand the grace and comfort as the leader of the home that he's speaking of here. Okay. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then here's this phrase. I like this. It says, show honor to your woman. Here's why. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh, okay. Women, be careful how much jewelry you, you, uh, you wear. Men, better act right so God hears your prayers. Sorry, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> You're like, the prayers of a righteous man are unhindered. Exactly. Exactly. God looks at that heart. Let, let me explain. As a husband, God has given you a responsibility to love your wife. In fact, that love is to reflect and resemble and symbolize the love that Christ has for his bride. You are a walking covenant example of the love of God for his bride. And so if you purposely dishonor not only your bride, but his bride, don't you think that will have an effect on your prayer life with him? If this is a relationship and not just a religion, don't you think that's going to affect your relationship with Jesus Christ? He's saying, don't be screaming at your wife and then coming to me for clarity. Let me give you some clarity. Go repent to your wife before you come talk to me again. That's what he's saying. Why? Because it's about the heart. It's about that relationship. Our deeds express the content of our heart, always. They'll always give us away. How we treat people will always show how we really feel about people. How you treat your wife not only shows how you feel about her, it says how you feel about God. And how seriously you take his commands. How you treat your children, how you treat your coworkers, how you treat that person on the street that maybe smells a little weird but is sharing the, the bus station with you. That shows how you treat the person who makes a hundred times more money than you could ever imagine in your life, how you treat them too. I know we like to go this way, we go this way too. Do you understand? How we treat others exposes the condition of our heart. That's why in verse 17, in chapter 1, he says, If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear through the time of your exile. And then he quotes in 1 Peter 3, 12, he quotes Psalm 34. Here's what he says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I'm not saying here, and I don't believe Peter's saying here, if you're hurting or you're broken or you're messy or you're in need, you can't pray to God until you're made clean or perfect. That is not what he's saying. He's speaking to people who know Jesus, right? If you are here today and you have never called on Jesus Christ, you've never experienced the hope for your future and healing from your past that comes from him, let me tell you, you don't have to wait for a second. You don't got to clean yourself up. You don't got to earn something. You don't have to be set apart. You don't have to like buy a banner church t-shirt before you can pray to God, right? You don't got to go to a small group before you can pray to him. You can do it right now in your seat, wherever you are. You're like, I'm, I, I'm addicted. I'm trapped. I'm frustrated. I'm stuck. Great. That's the perfect time to call on Jesus Christ. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus is going to do a work in your life. I know he's going to begin to restore you. And he's going to begin to walk with you and sanctify you. And as you begin to walk in that sanctification, it's important that you respond in obedience. Because that will affect your relationship. 
purity affects your relationship. Just like a husband who is addicted to pornography will affect his physical relationship with his wife, so will a person addicted to the lusts of the world affect their relationship with God. Both are true. All who call the name of the Lord will be saved. And the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to his, their prayers. Band, you guys can come up. Hear me. Believers, I feel like Jesus, I feel like Peter says it here really strong, but Jesus is always saying, can we just say something, church? Because I think we think that church is inevitable, so let me just say there might come a day where we cannot meet like this. We cannot meet in public. So can I just say something since we're about to step into a season is the most crucial season in the history of our church. Can we stop playing around? Can we stop playing? Can we stop pretending that not going to church for six months is even remotely healthy? Can we just stop pretending? Can we stop pretending that going out and getting drunk on Saturday night and coming here is God's plan for your life on Sunday morning? Now, I'm glad you're here, but if you're a believer, come on, man. You know you got more than that for your life. Can we stop pretending? Can we stop playing around? Can we stop playing religious? Can we stop playing with these different things? And can we just say it matters how we treat those around us and how we live? It matters. Now, I'm not perfect. I yelled at somebody on my way to preach this message in traffic. <laughs> okay? So if that makes you feel better, right? <laughs> right? I'm not perfect. I'm not saying be perfect. Peter's not saying be perfect. He's saying be holy. Pursue holiness. Reject the things that are going to steal away the plan and purpose of God for your life. Holiness matters to God. But it also matters to our witness. You got people I know that you love deeply, that you want to encounter the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. I do. I know you do. And if you don't, let me tell you, there's someone out there that feels like nobody cares for them, that it is now your mission to go find and tell them if you feel like you don't have anybody. Sometimes I've noticed, if we could just have this very reflective moment here at the end, sometimes I've noticed that often we don't get separated from this pursuit of holiness out of just like pure rival disobedience and rebellion. Like we're not like, no holiness, right? That's usually not our response. Often it's just from exhaustion. We're tired. We're weary. We're overwhelmed. So we just begin to drift a little bit from that relationship with God. We don't really pursue him like we did. We don't have that fire like we did. You know what I'm talking about? Remember when I said, remember when you first encountered God? Remember how crazy you were? Remember how you just like drove people crazy because you talked about Jesus all the time? Remember that? Some of you, that, that might have been five minutes ago. Some of you, that might have been 55 years ago. But remember that. Often, our attitudes drift. Our hearts drift. One of my favorite songs is Come Thou Fount. And in there it says, bind my wandering heart to thee. That's a line I come back to all the time. Lord, bind my heart. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's what that says. It says, but bind my wandering heart to thee. Some of you, you long to live out the goodness and godliness of the Lord. But you kind of need that like fresh start moment where the Holy Spirit comes in and stirs that up and renews you. And you're like, you know what? I've lived for all kinds of things, but I'm living as an ambassador of God today. And I love that about Jesus Christ. If anyone's in him, you're a new creation. But I also love the scripture says his mercies are new each day. 
You know, on Thursday nights, and I'll close with this this morning, Thursday nights before worship practice at 6 o'clock, you're all invited, you can come. I have a, a prayer group here, prayer and worship, and there's usually about five or six of us gathered together, and we pray, we pray over each other, and uh, we just worship, we wait on the Lord. It's really powerful, and uh, Thursday was a really powerful time, and some people in that group that just began to give prophetic words, it was amazing. And uh, so we had this time of prophetic words and laying hands and praying, and um, at the end of it, we were just kind of sitting. Have you ever done that? You just kind of like rest. And I was just playing some guitar and just kind of like sitting up here. The door was open. This door over here on the side. We have a side door at our building if you're watching online. And it comes from the parking lot. And in that moment, I was just praying. I was like, Lord, would you begin to speak as we step in? next week to really one of the most pivotal seasons of our church. Would you begin to speak to us? Would you begin to speak forward to us? And uh, just waited, and it was amazing. This wind just blew through, and normally we have all these dried leaves, which I went out today, and they weren't there. So I don't know if between this moment or supernatural leaves, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But this wind blew through the door and came where we were and just began to swirl and just wind was coming in during this moment, just flowing in. And it was cool because all those dried leaves were coming in and they were just making noise. And we all stopped and just began to just wait and, and, and just be calm and stop. And I wanted to say something, but I didn't. I just waited and the wind was just stirring. And I felt like God began to speak to me. Uh, a couple people and I texted them the next morning about it. But in that moment, he began to speak to me just and say that the wind of the Spirit was going to come into this church in this season and begin to stir up. See, because what happened, as soon as I began to get a word, I began to get really pastory about it. And God spoke to me, and he says, you're trying to do this off your breath, and you might feel like you're on your last breath, but I'm not calling this church to be stirred up and step out in evangelism to share the gospel like never before in revival, to bring revival upon this city. I'm not calling you to step out on your last breath, but with my breath, the breath of God the breath of God. And I felt the Holy Spirit say in that moment, as that wind was stirring in this place, I felt him say, I'm going to stir up in the hearts of the people of Banner Church, and I'm going to do something through their lives like never before. And so I want to end differently today. I'm going to invite you, would you stand with me today in this church? If you're watching online, I invite you, find a place to respond to the Lord wherever you are. If you're driving in your car, pull over. Speak to us today, Lord. Speak upon our hearts, Holy Spirit. Move upon us even right now as we come to respond to your word. Move upon us, Spirit. This is not an observation, but a participation in revival this morning, God. We've not come here just to be informed, but to be transformed because we know the world needs your gospel, God. It's not about me this morning. It's about you. I really believe the Holy Spirit wants to stir your heart this morning, and he wants to come upon you like that wind that blew in here. But this time, it's not going to be physical. It's not going to come in with those dry leaves. It's going to come in with life into dry bones, and it's going to renew you. Maybe some of you, it's going to stir up a passion to be an ambassador for Christ. You have never made that declaration. I live to be an ambassador of Christ, to share the gospel. You're like, that's not really my personality. It doesn't have to be. It's your anointing through the Holy Spirit.
comes through him. He knows what you need. Some of you, that's it today, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you forward in just a moment. I'm gonna invite you, if you want to pray and receive that, a fresh wind of the Spirit, I'm gonna invite you. I know it's scary, but I invite you in, in just a moment to come forward up front. We're not gonna end with a song. We're gonna end with me praying and anointing upon your life.